You're listening to sermons from Redeemer Church in Round Rock, Texas. Redeemer is a gospel-centered, missional family learning and living the way of Jesus in the suburbs of Austin. Good morning, everybody. All right, there we go. Thank you. Um, Good to see you guys. Uh, Happy Mother's Day to those of you who are moms. We want to honor and celebrate you today. Hope that you're your family has honored you and hope you have great pl- they have great plans for you today. And I know what you're probably thinking as you just heard Joshua read our sermon text today. You're probably thinking, a sermon about elders on Mother's Day. Wow. You know, thanks. Um, well, let me try and put that into context for you a little bit. Um, we are in this sermon series that we started last week at, where we're studying uh, Titus, the, the letter the Apostle Paul had written to Titus. And, um, and we're calling this series A Healthy Church in a Hectic World. And what we're doing in the sermon series is really trying to uh, continue on this renewal journey that we've been on all year, where we've been praying for God to renew us. One simple prayer this year as a church family is renew us, Lord. We're asking God to pour out a, uh, his spirit in fresh ways in our lives and in our church to do a new thing. We're opening ourselves up to hear afresh and new from, from, from the Lord this year in our church. And we're praying for renewal. And one of, the, uh, the, one of the things that we're hoping as we study Titus is that God would do some corporate renewal in us as a church family. And so we want to go back to this letter. We talked about this last week. The Apostle Paul was called by Jesus to not only preach the gospel to the Gentiles, but to establish the church. And he says in 1 Corinthians 3 verse 10, that it was his responsibility, his calling to, um, to lay the foundation for the church. In other words, Paul gives us the blueprint for Jesus' vision for his church, how it ought to function. And, and so as we see in Titus 1.5, he says to Titus, Titus, this is why I left you in Crete. Crete was this small little island on the coast of Greece where the Apostle Paul had traveled toward the end of his life and preached the gospel and People uh, turned from their sin, put their faith in Jesus, and Paul has to leave. We're not exactly sure why. Um, and he leaves Titus there to, to what he says in verse 5. This is why I left you in Crete, that you might put what remained into order. Get the church healthy. Get it established so that it can fulfill Jesus' vision and live for Jesus' mission in this particular place. And as we look at the, at the letter of Titus, it's really Paul reminding Titus what that blueprint is. In other words, what matters most in the church. And the first thing that he says that matters most if the church is going to be healthy and fulfill Jesus's vision is that it needs qualified leaders. And not just any leader, particularly it needs elders, what he refers to as elders. And just as we get started, I wanna make this clear. If you're taking notes, when when you see the word elder in the Bible, it is synonymous for the word pastor, okay? Elders, pastor, you might see the word overseer, depending on your translation of the Bible. It might give you the word bishop. Um, we don't use that phrase here. Nobody calls me bishop, um, bishop elder, or elder elder. That would be weird. Um, my last name is elder. By the way, if you don't think this is true, I'm an elder of this church. My last name is elder. When we first bought a house here in Round Rock, when we moved here, we bought a house on Elder Way. I'm not making this up. This is true. <laughs> There, there are people here that can testify to this. So it was, the Lord called us here, man. He provided a house for us. Um, when you see that word elder, it is synonymous for pastor. So I'm going to use that interchangeable today. Elder, pastor. It's an interchangeable word. It's the same office that the Bible is referring to. And so let me just say it this way. Just as moms, it's Mother's Day, just as moms have a specific, defined, important, distinct role that they play in the family, dads have that too, 
an important, specific, defined, distinct role that God has given. Elders have a specific and defined and important role that they are to play in the church. And without qualified elders playing their role, a church will not be healthy. So that's the primary principle today. And, and I know without a doubt that there are some of you who are here this morning and you have in your past experienced how unhealthy, how ugly the church can get when pastors go sideways, when there are not qualified elders leading the church. Unfortunately, that is far too common in the church today, particularly in America. We have seen story after story, case after case of moral failure, of unqualified pastors who are proving that they are unqualified, and it hurts the church, it tarnishes the message of the gospel and the reputation of Jesus. And so, though it's Mother's Day, and you might not be super jazzed about a sermon on elders, it is really, really important. It is super important, and it's important for you if you're a follower of Jesus and a committed member of a local church, of this local church, it matters. So here's what I want to do this morning, really simple. Three things. Number one, who are elders? Number two, what do they do? Number three, why it matters to you. Why it matters to you, to your life. Let's pray. Almighty God, we come to you now. We sit down. We be quiet. We open our, our ears and our heart and our mind, and we want to receive from your word. We need this space, God. Our life is busy. Our world is hectic. Our mind is often cluttered. Our heart often wanders astray. Would you speak to us through your word? Would you recenter us through your word? Would you show us, remind us what is true and what is good and what is acceptable to you? God, would you speak to each one of us here this morning? We just open ourselves to you. Speak, Holy Spirit, through your word. Encourage us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we have to first and foremost understand something about the Apostle Paul and the way that he writes if we're going to accurately handle this text. Context is key. That's always the case with the Bible. Context is key. In all of Paul's letters, he will build his message around a primary metaphor. In every one of his letters, he does this, a unique uh, metaphor in which he kind of helixes around a metaphor as he, as he writes. This is probably the way that the Apostle Paul would even preach. I think this is why he was a really effective evangelist, is that he would uh, take something that was common, that would have been understood, and then he would kind of helix around it and, 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 and apply the truth about God or the truth about the gospel. And so what he, he does this in every letter. In Galatians, his primary metaphor is this idea of inheritance or uh, son versus slave. This is kind of the primary metaphor. In Philippians, it's this metaphor of a soldier or an athlete. It's the primary metaphor. He'll kind of helix around it. Um, in Romans, it's this courtroom metaphor that he uses. Well, in Titus, and then also in First and Second Timothy, which are very similar letters written around the same time. They talk about a lot of the same things, have the same purpose. They're about establishing the church to be healthy and strong so that it can live out its missionary identity in the world. In Titus, the primary metaphor that Paul is building around is this metaphor of a steward or a manager. If you're taking notes, write that down. It's this idea of a steward or a manager. And this is super important if we're going to understand leadership in the church. This would have been a very common idea. People would have known what, what they, when I said steward, you might think about a flight attendant, all right? In the first century of Greco-Roman world, that's not what they would have thought about. Here's what they would have thought about. They would have thought about someone, a person who is hired or who is brought in 
to manage the estate or the household of someone who generally is really important or wealthy, right? In the first century world, particularly around Rome, it was pretty common for wealthy people to live in the city and then to buy big plots of land that were out in the country. And they would hire a steward so that when they were away, the steward or the manager would oversee the property, would make sure that the fields are bearing fruit, that they're supposed to bear fruit, make sure those who are there working are actually working. They would make sure that the household was kept in order. And Jesus even uses this metaphor quite a bit. He talks about how um, you, that you need to be ready for when, if you're the steward, and you need to be ready for when the owner comes back. Um, he talks about this in Luke chapter 12. He tells a parable, Luke 16, in Matthew 24, Matthew 25. You, you might be familiar with the parable of the talents. He's using this steward metaphor. And so ultimately, this is the context in which we receive instructions about elders. Ultimately, this is what elders are. This is what pastors are. They are called to steward what belongs to Jesus Christ, the church. They steward what belongs to Jesus while Jesus is away, waiting for Jesus' return. And so ultimately, we have to kind of declare this first and foremost. The church, the local church, it does not belong to elders or, past, or pastors. The local church belongs to Jesus. The church isn't for my agenda. The church is not for our agenda. It's not up to me to decide what our church is about and what we want to be known for or what our mission is. The church belongs to Jesus. It's for Jesus' mission. It needs to be known for Jesus' gospel. It needs to be for Jesus' glory and for Jesus' purpose. So ultimately, what elders are called to do is to steward the message and the reputation of Christ in a particular place through the local church. I want to say that one more time. Ultimately, what pastors are called to do is to steward what belongs to Jesus. His message is gospel and his reputation in a particular place through a local church. You see, it's in this context that we get the qualifications for pastors. I want to read those again. Look at Titus 1, 6 through 9. So he says, If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, his children are believers and are not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination, for an overseer as God's steward, you see that? must be above reproach. He must, be, must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. When we look at this text and when we look at several other texts like it, we have Acts chapter 20, 1 Peter 5, 1 Timothy 3. Here's what we see. We see that leadership in the church is not like leadership in the world. Leadership in the church ought not be like leadership in the world. Paul doesn't tell Titus to look for powerful, prominent, impressive men of talent. You see, in the world, competency is what matters first. You want competent people in the world. You want competent leaders. Can you sell? Can you lead? Can you make plays? If you can, you can lead. And then a secondary kind of cherry on top is, do you have character? That's not the case in the church. That ought not be the case in the church. First and foremost in the church is that leadership is about character. Calling and competency matters. You want called pastors. You want competent pastors. Nobody wants a pastor that's a lousy pastor, okay? You want called and competent pastors, but first and foremost, it's about character. Titus is to look for men who are faithful to Jesus 
in their everyday life, men who are servant leaders, men of Christ-like character. And so he gives them a list of character traits to help him identify who would make good stewards of Jesus' church while Jesus is away. And what's interesting here is he kind of gives a positive version in this list and then a negative version. Let's look at the positive version first. He says, first and foremost, they should be above reproach. Above reproach. And he mentions this twice in verse 6 and verse 7. This is kind of a junk drawer term, what it is. You could throw a lot of things into this. This is kind of meant to be all-encompassing. Simply, it means that, that those who lead the church, who are stewards of Jesus' church, need to be mature across the board in their life. They need to be mature in all of their life. They need to be mature in all of their relationships. They're not just people who can kind of turn it on and then turn it off when they're somewhere else. They are, uh, they're mature people. They're mature in Christ. And then he says, a husband of one wife. Above reproach, husband of one wife. What does this mean? Well, it literally means, when you render out the Greek, it literally means a one-woman man. A one-woman man. It's a man who's devoted to his wife rather than immoral sexually, is what he's talking about here, especially in Cretan culture, right? You, in the text that we read earlier, you see what Paul said about the Cretans. They're beasts and lazy gluttons. This was sexual immorality was rampant in, 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 uh, in Cretan culture. And so a one-woman man, this does not mean that elders have to be married. Most of them are, but it doesn't mean that they have to be. Pastors don't have to be married to be qualified. Paul was not married. Titus was not married. Jesus was not married. It simply is about faithfulness. And look for men who are faithful. And first and foremost, they're faithful where it matters most in their home. It's a man devoted to his wife who loves her and her alone in an Ephesians 5 kind of way. And then he says his children. His children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery, of insubordination. And the word believers here, in fact, probably if you had the ESV, you might have a little footnote by that that says, or faithfulness. It's because the word is kind of tricky to actually translate into English. It, it, it really is probably, it's the word pistos in the Greek, and it's probably better translated as faithful. And so what you get here is you get the picture of children who are faithful to their parents. They are in submission to their parents while they are under their parents' roof. In other words, pastors' kids ought not be these evil little hobbit hellions who run around and kind of wreck everything all the time, all right? Like, they're, they're men who, who love their kids, who discipline their kids appropriately, who, whose children are submissive while they're in their home. You know, some people will kind of take this verse and say, hey, if, you're, if your children are not Christians, or maybe if you're an older pastor and one of your, your kids walk away from the faith, oh, you're disqualified, you can no longer be a pastor. This is not at all the heart of what Paul is is, is saying here. I mean, we just dedicated children to the Lord, right? We know this. We know that our responsibility as parents, all we can do is plant and water gospel seeds. Only God can make that seed grow. Only God saves. Salvation belongs to the Lord. It's our responsibility as parents, even as pastors, to do everything we can to nurture and support the faith of our kids, but we can't determine whether or not our kids are going to have a wayward prodigal season or whether or not that they might never trust in Jesus. That's not what he's saying here. The intention is that they are good dads who love, who serve, not only their wives, but also their kids, and that they parent well, that they parent them well. In fact, he goes on in, in, in Titus, which is a very similar list, in Timothy, I'm sorry, Timothy 3, a very similar list, and he, he says this, and he says, if an elder can't manage his own household, keeping his children submissive, how will he manage or steward, it's the same word, the household of God? So these are the kinds of leaders that you're looking for. And so, yeah, this is the picture that he gives. 
faithful husbands, faithful fathers who love Jesus, and that love for Jesus spills over into the home. Again, character is first. It's about stewardship of what belongs to Jesus until Jesus returns. Good, faithful men who aren't just responsible for themselves, but who love and lead others toward Jesus, their wives, their kids. In 1 Timothy 3, 7, he, he mentions even their friends or outsiders or unbelievers, are, they, they respect them and are even drawn to Jesus because of their sincere faith in their life. So that's the positive list. And then he gives a negative version. This is the they must not be list, all right? And this is interesting. Why does he give us a list like this? Well, I think it's because Paul had a lot of experience as a church planner, and Paul knew this. He knows that there are, that there are leaders out there that we need to avoid. In other words, there are, there are people out there, there are leaders that are out there who will use the church as their playground, not for good. They will use their church as as their playground for narcissism and all other kinds of things. And we need to be discerning and wise and make sure that we don't submit ourselves or appoint, or submit ourselves to or appoint these kinds of leaders for the church. They will make terrible stewards of Jesus' church. They will turn Jesus' church into a college dorm room, okay? And so we need to be, care, be careful and be weary of these kinds of leaders. Number one, he says, he must not be arrogant, so we need to be aware of arrogant or proud leaders. There are some leaders who lead simply to feed their own ego. They are marked by arrogance. These kind of leaders do not accept criticism, nor do they take advice from others. These types of leaders, they don't submit themselves to other people. They usually have a wake of conflict behind them everywhere they go. And we need to be aware of egomaniac pastors who love to be on a platform, but who will not get their hands dirty and do real ministry with real people. All right? We need to be aware of these kinds of leaders. They're out there. We need to be aware of narcissistic pastors who love to speak on every topic all the time as if they have the market cornered on truth. These kinds of pastors will actually never listen. They're always the expert. In fact, 1 Peter chapter 5 tells us that elders do not lord over people. Elders are not to lord over people. Leadership is not lordship. That's not the kind of elders that the church needs. Narcissistic, arrogant, proud leaders. This kind of leadership is it's toxic, it harms the church, and it will tarnish the message and the reputation of Jesus. Qualified elders are not arrogant men. They're not arrogant men. Number two, he says... Anger, quick-tempered. Um, I want to let you in on a little bit of a secret, but there are demanding and difficult people in the church, all right? Um, there's demanding and difficult people in the church. Um, pastoring is often called shepherding. And one thing about sheep, we often think about sheep going astray, but one thing about sheep is that sheep also bite. Did you know that? Sheep bite. They, they will bite each other. Sheep will bite they're shepherds. Sheep will do that. And I think this is why um, uh, Paul says that good dads would make good pastors because kids can often be demanding and foolish and difficult. They can often break our hearts, right, parents? We see our kids struggle and stray. They can break our hearts. Kids can make us angry. <laughs> they can make you mad sometimes. And what he's saying here is that pastors, qualified pastors, are to lovingly lead with truth and with grace. They shepherd with gentleness and patience. 
Qualified elders are not angry men. Next, he talks about drunkenness. He talks about drink. And now this is just an obvious one, okay? If your pastor uh, or one of your pastors is spending a lot of time hanging out with Jim and Jack and Johnny and Jose and Bud, some of you have no idea what I'm talking about right now. But if, one, if your pastors are spending a lot of time hanging out with those guys, you just need to find a new pastor, all right? You just need to find a new pastor. A pastor who spends a lot of time with drink isn't going to Jesus as a source of his comfort, his source of his rest and his peace, but he's turning to substance. And this can also apply to food and a variety of other things. Qualified elders are self-controlled men who go to Jesus. Next, he says, uh, uh, violent. It, what he's talking about here is abusive. And spiritual abuse is a real thing, all right? So I just want to acknowledge that. And if you're here and you've experienced that, we want you to know that, that, we, that there's a lot of grace for you, that Jesus loves you, he cares for you, and we hope and pray that this would be a place in which you could learn to trust the church again and even trust qualified leaders because it's a real thing. Unfortunately, there are too many leaders who are abusive with their power. And, and so pastors do not lead by force. They do not lead through fear. They do not lead with manipulation. But like Jesus, qualified pastors ought to be followable, not because of their power that they have or because of their platform. They are followable like Jesus because of their love and their wisdom, and their life. That's why they're followable. That's why they're trustworthy. Qualified elders are gentle, approachable men. And the next he talks about greedy gain, money. There's a problem with leaders and money. And if you aspire to be a pastor for money, you just aren't very smart, all right? Just bad career choice if you want to get rich. Not a good idea. And there is, though, some precedent in the Bible, just for clarity's sake, for pastors to be paid for leading the church, particularly those who labor in preaching and teaching. We see this in 1 Timothy 5, 17. It's really clear. But the calling of a pastor is not to gain from ministry, not to, not to gain fame or notoriety or bank accounts or book deals or any of that. The, the, the calling of a pastor is not to gain from ministry. It's to give yourselves away for the health and faithfulness of Jesus' church, of his bride. It's to give of yourself. Leaders are servant leaders. They're not power brokers in the church. They're not high-level decision makers. They're not people who are gaining and are growing and are moving up the ladder in ministry. That's not who they are at all. That's not what qualified leaders are. Paul goes on, he says, Rather than these things, elders are hospitable, lovers of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. Now, There's one more thing that I want to mention briefly that has implications for who elders are or the type of people that would make good stewards. One other qualification that's a little bit hidden in the text. Notice, look back at at Titus 1.5. Notice what Paul says. He says, appoint elders, plural. Elders, plural. Crete's a tiny little island. He says, appoint elders in every place. It was this kind of network of house churches, most likely, what was happening there. And Paul's understanding of what the church needs is plurality of elders in every place, in every church. There needs to be a plurality. This is the New Testament model of church, not a senior pastor model with maybe a board that kind of hires and fires, but there's one pastor. This is not the biblical a picture of a New Testament church. A healthy church has a plurality of pastors, a plurality of elders. And so elders must be men who are willing to submit themselves to others. 
That's kind of a hidden qualification in the text. Qualified elders are not autonomous men, unaccountable men. That's not the picture. Here at Redeemer, we have five elders. There's five pastors here. There's not one pastor. There's not two pastors. There's five pastors here. And all five of us lead the church together as co-equals. Co-equals. We are accountable to one another. And this is actually good for you on many levels. I don't have time to go into all of them, but there's some theological realities of why the church needs a plurality of elders. God is three in one for one. The apostles always worked in teams. Jesus sent people out two by two. There's just some real practical reasons. Like, I'm very limited in the gifts that I have, all right? You're like, amen. I'm very limited in the gifts that I have. I'm limited in the wisdom that I have. If you have one pastor, your church is limited in gifts and wisdom. It takes on the strengths and the weaknesses of your one pastor. You have a plurality of leaders. Leaders get to lead in their gifts and then get out of the way in the other areas of the church. This is actually really healthy. It's a real gift for you. Not only that, but you have five pastors in this church that, that are available to give their prayer and their presence and their ministry to you. They're actually like really in your life. Like you really know them and, and they really know you. This is a real benefit to you. Another benefit is that God calls me or Josh or any of our elders to go somewhere else. This church will never need a pastor search committee because you still have pastors. So there's a real gift to you and plurality of leadership. Healthy churches are led by leaders who willingly submit themselves and are accountable to other elders. Now, what I want to do is I want to just kind of zoom out for a second, all right? I want to zoom out in a second, for a second. I want to think about this whole picture that Paul is painting, both the positive and the negative qualifications for who elders are. He says elders are leaders. They're people who are not prone to, think of this list, apathy, sexual sin, passivity in the home, pride and arrogance, anger, addiction, abuse of power, Greed and autonomy. I mean, what a list, all right? These are qualified leaders. These are leaders that are, that are fit, fitted and suited to lead Jesus' church who are not prone to these things. These are things that every human being struggles with every day. Do you realize that? Particularly men. This is a list of struggles that are real, like really real, every day in the lives of men. In this world, it's a list of temptations and sins that have wrecked havoc on households, that have ruined lives, that have hurt communities, that have set men back in their lives. Greed, autonomy, abuse of power, addiction, anger, pride, arrogance, sexual sin, apathy, passivity. I mean, what a list. This is a real list of sin and struggles for men, particularly, for all human beings, but men, particularly. But there has only been one human in history that has never fallen prey to any of these temptations, as real as they are. There's been one, and that human being was Jesus. The sinless Jesus, the perfect Jesus, the spotless lamb Jesus was sent into this world to lay down his life for, his, for apathetic, sexually broken, passive, proud, angry, addicted, abusive, greedy sinners like you, and like me. Do you see the gospel here? So that sinful and unqualified people like us could be saved, could be forgiven, could be brought into relationship with God. Jesus, the sinless one, came to purchase forgiveness and redemption for anyone who would turn from these sins and others like them and trust in him, that Jesus would make you new, would transform you, would change you. And so I just want to point out 
that it is an absolute miracle of grace that there are leaders in the church who would meet these qualifications. Do you see that? It is Jesus and his gospel that qualifies pastors. That's not a seminary degree. It's Jesus and his gospel. Listen, I know my own story, all right? And I'm standing here preaching about elders. I am an elder, qualified one, and I'm preaching about them. And I know my own story. And I know what a miracle of grace it is that Jesus has, has moved into my heart. Well, it's a miracle of grace what Jesus has done in my life. And the gospel can do the same thing in any life. It can do the same thing in your life. And because this is true, because the gospel is powerful, because Jesus is real and risen, and his grace transforms and changes and equips and gives gifts and imparts and empowers and redeems, Paul says to, to Titus, look for men who meet these qualifications. They will make great stewards of Jesus' church until Jesus returns. They'll keep the gospel central. They'll love, they'll lead. They'll point people to the same grace that they've experienced and experience every day. And that leads us to verse 9. What do elders do? What do they do? He tells us in verse 9, he says, they must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also rebuke those who contradict it. Now, two things here. First thing I want you to underline in your Bible, if you are a Bible underliner, is the phrase trustworthy word. Trustworthy word. He says elders hold firm. They don't let go of. They don't forsake the trustworthy word as taught. What word is Paul talking about here? What, what, is, he, what is he getting at? What, what is this word? You know, for some people, they might think that what Paul is referring to here is the Bible. But Paul didn't sail to Crete and give them the Bible and say, here's how you read the Bible. Now hold on to the Bible and then set sail for, to the next place. That's not what Paul did. What word is he talking about? They didn't even have the Bible as we have it today. What's he talking about? Well, what Paul is talking about here is he's talking about the gospel message. That's the word. The message of the gospel that they've been taught, that they've received. In other places, particularly in Timothy, Paul will refer to this as the deposit in which they've received or the teaching in which they've received. Biblical scholars will call this the kerygma. It's the core message of the gospel. It's the message about Christ and how he was the fulfillment of all of Israel's history, how he lived and what he taught and the undeniable miracles that he did in the perfect life and then how he was arrested and how he was tried under Pilate, how he suffered, how he died on a Roman cross, how he went into the grave, how he raised on the third day, how the resurrected Jesus appeared to thousands, how he poured out his spirit on the day of Pentecost, how this message, this gospel has transformed lives and communities and households since the day that he walked out of the grave. This is the word. This is the trustworthy word in which elders are to hold on to and not forsake. It's the gospel message. And so qualified elders are men who keep the message of the gospel central in the church. They keep the gospel central. They make the gospel unignorable. People walk into the church and they realize that there's no other agenda, there's no other ideas, there's no other words that are central in this church but the gospel, the message of Christ crucified and risen for sinners. That's what qualified elders do. 
And then the second thing I want you to underline is the phrase sound doctrine. What does that mean? What's he talking about? They need to instruct sound doctrine and contradict those who, um, what does he say? Sorry, let me go back. Contradict those who, um, I'm sorry, rebuke those who contradict it. So they're to teach and rebuke sound doctrine. What's he talking about here? Similarly, Paul didn't you know, show up in Crete, give them the Bible, and then give them a systematic theology book and say, okay, read it. Okay, good, we good. Everybody took the class. Okay, you have the right doctrine. Now, anytime that anybody has a different theological stance than you, you need to argue them into submission. Preferably, do it over Twitter. That's probably the best place to do it. Argue all of your theological stances over Twitter. Rebuke them sharply. Keep rebuking them. You know, retweet everybody that tweeted anything wrong. That's not what he's talking about when he's talking about sound doctrine. Not even close, actually. What's he talking about? Well, biblical scholars will refer to this as the Didache. So they've got the Kerygma, which is the core gospel message, and then the Didache. We're getting real pastor nerdy here in this sermon. I'm giving you some words. We'll have a spelling test later. What's he talking about? He's talking about the life that flows from the gospel, how we ought to live because Jesus is risen and reigning. If the gospel message is true, we ought to live this way. In fact, when you read all of Paul's letters closely, that's what he's doing. He's reinforcing the kerygma, the message of the gospel. He usually does that in chapters one and two. Think, think uh, Colossians, think Ephesians. And then what does he do in the second part of the letter? In light of the gospel, here's how you ought to live. Husbands, wives, slaves, masters, kids. In light of the gospel, here's how you live. It's the whole book of Romans. One through 11, gospel message. 12 toward the end, dedicate how we live in light of the gospel, gospel living. This is what sound doctrine is. You see, to the Apostle Paul, unsound doctrine is when our life doesn't match our faith and our belief. That's unsound, belief. That's unsound doctrine. And so he says, correct that. When people are teaching something that's not true of how we ought to be living as Christians, rebuke it and correct it. In fact, let your eyes go over to Titus chapter 2, verse 1, really quickly. Just let your eyes look there. Look at what he says. But as for you... Teach what accords with what? Sound doctrine. And then what does he go on to say? Older men, younger men, older women, here's how you ought to live. Younger women, bondservants, here's how you ought to live. He goes on in chapter three. Remember, hey, we were once foolish, led astray, but now the grace of Christ has appeared, and so we ought to live this way. Do you see that? This is the call, and this is our connection to, um, to, to the third question that we're after on this Mother's Day. Why does it matter? Why do elders matter in your life? Really simply, you need to receive the gift of qualified pastors in your life as followers of Jesus because it is their job and their responsibility as called stewards who will stand judgment before God for how they steward the local church to make sure that you are not only learning but living the way of Jesus. Your discipleship, for the sake of your own discipleship, you need qualified pastors in your life. This is a mark of a healthy church, accepting that you need to be pastored. You need to be shepherded, not just so that you have someone in your life to care for you. Elders certainly do that. That's kind of the angle that Peter takes in 1 Peter 5, is that elders are to love and to care for the sheep. Not just so that you have someone to you know, do a wedding or a funeral for you. Elders certainly do that, and they do it joyfully and, and gladly. Not just so that you have a preacher that you like to come and listen to on a Sunday. Some elders preach. 
But Paul's angle to Titus is that you need good, qualified elders. You need to be submitted to the spiritual authority of good, qualified elders for the sake of your own discipleship, for the sake of your life, for your living. Remember last week when we talked about how you need the church? We talked about how the church is the fertile ground designed by Jesus for you to grow in faith, knowledge of the truth, and hope of eternal life. Well, elders ensure that this is happening. Without qualified elders, or if you are not submitted to the authority and the leadership of elders, then you are in dangerous soil for your own discipleship. A a Christian who thinks that they can follow Jesus apart from the local church and apart from being submitted to the leadership of elders in the local church is a naive Christian in dangerous soil. That's not God's plan. It's not God's design for you and for his church. Paul says as much in Ephesians 4.14. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul kind of gives this list of leaders that God has gifted to the church for its own growth and maturity. And he says that you need the spiritual authority of leaders in your life so that you will no longer be like a child tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. You need qualified pastors in your life, really being submitted to them as a voice of authority in your life. It matters it matters for your own formation. So I just want to ask you here. I want to ask you just to be reflective for a moment. What voices are you currently listening to? What, what voices are the primary voices that are giving shape to your life right now? What, what voices are the voices of authority that are giving shape to how you think and how you live? Just consider that for a moment because something is. Nobody is neutral. We're all being formed all the time. All of us are. We're all being formed all the time. We all give our affections to something all the time. We give our lives to something all the time. Right now, you're living for something. What voices are the primary voices that are giving shape to how you think and how you live your life? This is why Paul is writing to Titus, because he's concerned about the formation, the discipleship of the believers in Crete. Without pastors, the church in Crete was being shaped by other voices. Some some in the church at Crete were getting sucked back into the life of Cretan Cretan culture. They were turning the church into a dorm room. You know, they were living like they were freshmen in college again. But there were others that were turning back to religion, others that were reverting back to Judaism because there were both secular and religious voices that were giving shape and that were forming the way that the Christians in Crete were living. And Paul addresses this in verses 10 through 6. He says, Titus, you've got to get some good elders in place. Look at verse 10. He says, for there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers, deceivers. In other words, that are not qualified to be shaping and forming the way people think and live. These guys are not qualified, and there are many of them, especially of the circumcision party, so especially the religious people, the religious voices. What does he say? They must be silenced, since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. They profess to know God, but they deny him by his works. Again, do you see the connection there between belief and life? What, I'm, what I believe to be true and what I'm living. He's saying there's a big gap in the connection. They, they say they believe these things, but look how they're living. They're not qualified. And man, they're, they're forming and influencing people in all the wrong directions. They're detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. You think Paul cared a lot about the health of the church, don't you? Don't you see that? 
He says there's too many unqualified voices that are forming the church. And, and listen for a second, listen. Boy, is this applicable to our culture right now. Like, is this so applicable to our culture right now? I mean, in this day and age when anyone and, and everyone can get on Twitter or on YouTube and can share their advice or their opinions and we read it and we see it and they can gain a following and nobody has any idea what those people are really doing with their life, but yet they are shaping and forming how people think and their opinions and the things that they are throwing out there are dividing churches. Like real people in community are being divided by who knows who out there and all of their opinions. We have no idea who these people are or how they live their life, but yet we're submitting ourselves to their ways of thinking. I mean, this is really applicable. In a day and age when anyone can start a podcast and tell you how you ought to think and how you ought to live your life. In fact, if you look at the top shows on Apple Podcasts right now, you will see a cast of characters who their lives are marked by divorce and sexual brokenness and political idolatry and arrogance and foolishness and greedy gain. And these are some of the most formative voices in our culture. And unfortunately, many of them are even forming the way people think in the church. And perhaps you don't realize it, but when you, who you listen to and who you follow online, you've given authority to those people in your life. And sadly, there are too many Christians right now who are being more shaped by online voices than they are being shaped by the word of God under the authority of qualified elders in the soil of the local church. And this is the church at Broad. This is happening. And we also need to be realized that your phone is probably the most formative thing in your life. I mean, you are being fed your own interest and your own biases by an algorithm. <laughs> the more you click on stuff, the more of it that you're going to get. And Jesus is the one who says, look, not only to your own interest, actually. He calls you into a body in which there are many parts, a fellowship of difference, where you need to be shaped and challenged and sanctified by different perspectives on life. But yet this algorithm is forming and shaping so many of us. And Paul is saying, you need to submit yourself. There's so many other voices. Those voices need to get turned down. You need to submit yourself to the life of the local church and to the leadership of qualified pastors. And so here's the principle, really simple. A healthy church is a church that bears the fruit of the gospel. A healthy church that bears the fruit of the gospel is a church that is submitted to healthy leaders who bear the fruit of the gospel. Let me say it another way. You need to be pastored. You need to be pastored. You need spiritual authority in your life. What does that look like right now? Well, here's my concern. Coming out of a season, a long season of disconnection, coming out of a season of isolation, coming out of a season where many of us, even the church, like the church we had to go online for a while, so we just got immersed in media. Like you even had to go there for church. And I, we just had to do it, but I think that there's some bad effects to that. Like coming out of this season of isolation and disconnection, being immersed in media, coming off the heels of a divisive and polarizing year, I think where this starts is by asking yourself the question, what voices and authorities am I submitted to right now? What voices and authorities am I submitted to right now? In other words, what's been forming you? What voices are shaping you? Are you spending more time being discipled by social media? Are you, being, are you spending more time going to kind of podcast personalities to kind of give you wisdom and insight on how you ought to live? Are you, are, you, are you seeking to even be spiritually nourished more by podcasts than you even are by the local church? 
Are you going to YouTube channels? Are you spending more time learning from CNN or Fox News than you are from your own pastors? See, Paul says that we need to silence these voices. We need to turn all of these other voices, the volume down on them, so that we can turn the volume up on the gospel in our lives. And the job of elders is to help you do this. I want to say that again. I want to be clear. The job of elders is to help you do that. It's to help you turn down the wrong voices so that you can turn up the voice of the Holy Spirit in your life through his word. That's the job of elders. To ensure that the most formative thing in your life is the grace of Jesus. See, healthy pastors, they don't do this for you from a distance. They don't do this for you uh, in a way that they profit from your likes and your clicks and your downloads. Healthy pastors do this up close and personal in your life as servants and as stewards of Jesus, stewards of what belongs to Jesus. And if you belong to Jesus, the Bible is clear, you need pastors. You need to be pastored. And so the invitation this morning, it might seem a little bit odd, but the invitation is to be pastored, to to turn off a bunch of the other stuff in your life and relearn to be shepherded, to learn to submit yourself, to be formed by the church under the leadership of pastors. Listen, We love you, church. We love you, and we want to be in your life. We are not too busy or too important for you. I promise. We want to be in your life. Don't go to YouTube or Google with that hard question about life, that hard question about church, that hard question about culture, that hard question about family, that hard question about sexuality, that hard question about politics. Don't go to these other disconnected, unqualified voices. We want to be in your life. Come to your pastors. We want to shepherd you. And if we don't know, because there's a lot of things we don't, if we don't know, then there are many, many qualified men and women in this church, deacons and GC leaders and seasoned saints that we can point you to. Let the local church be the fertile soil that is forming and shaping you. This is a healthy church a church pastored by qualified elders, a church willing to plant its roots in the word of God. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how it shows us clearly your plan for your church and for your people. And God, I pray that Redeemer would be a church that is rooted in your word that keeps the gospel central. It would be a church in which we are not living and falling into the either religious games of the culture or, or to the secular way of life in our culture, but we would be a people who are living out the truth of the gospel of grace, that the good news of Jesus crucified, risen, and coming again would form and would shape every area of our life, that we would be quick to put off lies and myths, we would be quick to put off untruths, we would be quick to not get sucked into the the, the things of this world, Lord Jesus, but we would keep our eyes fixed on you, our minds set on your word. Help us to do that, Lord. Help us to be a church that is sound in doctrine, that we live out what we know and what we believe. God, I pray a prayer of blessing over our pastors in this church, that you would even give protection, Lord that you would keep our pastors in your grace, that you would keep our pastors healthy so that this church might be healthy. You would keep our pastors humble and rooted in the grace of Jesus. I pray for our church family, for the members of this church, that we would be a church that loves one another well, that trusts, that opens ourselves up, that we would be a church that 
seeks you above all things. Would you renew us, Lord, for your name and for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening. If you are looking for info, find our website at RedeemerRR.org or download the Redeemer Round Rock app from the Android or iOS app store.